Okay, our first reading is um, one of the Psalms of David, Psalm 62, and it's found on page 409 in your church Bibles. Psalm 62. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. The second reading is from 1 Timothy, chapter 9, verses 11 to 19, page 841. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made good your confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Alex. If you could turn back to Psalm 62, that would be wonderful. It's on page 409. I'm playing a bit of uh, Future's Privilege these next two weeks. I've chosen to preach on Psalm 62 and Psalm 63 for no other reason than they're my, they're my favorite psalms. Uh, 
they are wonderful psalms where we get a glimpse into what it really means to, to know God, to love God, and to be secure in God. So let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you that you know us, you know our needs, you know us so intimately. You know those of us here who are struggling and those who are in a good spot. Lord, all of us need to hear you, and so I pray that your spirit, Lord, will just teach us exactly what we need to hear. In his precious name, amen. I want to ask you tonight where your security lies. What I mean by that is where do you, where do you trust, where do you find your security? And I'm guessing that most of us here know that the answer I'm looking for is, I trust in God. But let's start tonight by just being honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves as to where we really find our security, and whom do you really trust? See, I reckon the answer to that question, the answer to that question is most obvious in your times of trial and your times of trouble. So in that tough time, in that time of trial or anxiety, where do you run to? To whom do you run? Where do you go to for your your counsel and your comfort? Where do you go to for your support and your security? That'll show you whom you trust. And I reckon most of us, like our world, run to the three Ps. We run to people, we run to our possessions, and to our power. In the times of trial, we run to people, uh, to our spouse, to our kids, to our family, to our friends. We run to the people who will comfort us and offer us security and give us wise words. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing to do. Except if you don't run to God as well. We run to people or we run to possessions. Uh, Our properties, our, our wealth, our Stocks, our shares, our gadgets, our our lifestyle, thinking, you know, we'll just be secure in these things, in this stuff. Or we run to our own power. And we think, you know, I can do this. I can get through this. I can conquer this. Let me say, the 20 years I've been a Christian has been a learning process for me. Learning to trust in God more and more and more. I, I use the word learning because... It's difficult and it's slow. Learning that when the tough times comes, my first port of call, my priority is to put my trust in God. See, it's in my natural tendency in the time of trial is to run to exercise. Yeah? The time of trial comes, the troubles comes, first thing I do, put on my running shorts, go for a long run, clear your head, Paul, you'll feel better. I don't turn straight to God. Or, or my other thing I do is I, I just work harder and harder and harder. Pour your energy into work. Doing lots of good stuff. Fill your mind with stuff. Take, take your mind off the problem. But I don't run to God. And I've had to learn to trust God more and more and more. And this psalm has been a remarkable psalm for me. Teaching me who it is I trust and where my real security lies. The big theme is in verse 8. 
David says, trust in him, in God, at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to God, for God is our refuge. Here it is, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is your refuge. Trust in God. That, that is my simple sermon tonight. Trust in God. Three very simple words, and I utter them regularly. One of the joys of being a pastor is that you have the privilege of doing life with people, and life is messy. On Thursday this week, I had the privilege of sitting with Brad Emery as his dad's dying. You sit with the woman who's had her third miscarriage. You, you sit with the person who's just been diagnosed with cancer and is weeping. You sit with the man who's been made bankrupt. You sit with the people who are just going through the tough times in life. And I could put real names to all those scenarios. And you sit with them, and those three words are really important. Trust in God. But you know, sometimes as a pastor, those words sound trite. And they can sound flippant. Trust in God. Oh, that's okay for you to say, Paul. But when you're really going through what I'm going through, it's much harder to actually put into practice to trust into God. And part of the issue is, I think, that we really don't understand Psalm 62. And my prayer is that 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 phrase, trust in God, wouldn't just be words for you. But you'd own it up here, you'd own it here, and that you would live it day by day. Psalm 62 is the most unusual psalm because David isn't speaking primarily to God. And most of the psalms are lifted up to God. But this psalm, David is speaking to himself and his fellow believers. The superscript tells us it's for Jeduthun. He's the director of music in 1 Chronicles 25. But apart from that, we don't know why David is writing this psalm. We don't know where he is. We don't know what the problem is. But you get the vibe from verse 3. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless and their hearts they curse. See, David is in trouble. David is under pressure. He's facing that trial. We don't know where, we don't know when, we don't know what. But a group of people are conspiring with their lies and their deceit to topple David. They want to get rid of David. The extraordinary thing is, if you know the life of David, I reckon David could have written this psalm almost monthly. Whether it's been attacked by his own son Absalom, or hiding in the cave from Saul, or about to fight the mighty Goliath, or just being battered and bruised and weary and depressed and overwhelmed by grief, David is a real man who just did life. And that's why I love verse 3. It's just an apt description of what it really means to, to be under the pump. He says, this leaning wall, this tottering fence. It's just beautiful, this tottering fence. It's that, that picture of vulnerability. You know, I'm so wobbly, God. I'm about to collapse, God. I feel like I'm just on this sinking sand, God. God, I feel one more blow and I'll just be knocked down. One more push, one more trial. I'm not sure how much more I can take, God. And I'm guessing some of us have felt that, haven't we? God, one more thing. What more can go wrong with my life? Just, you can't do this to me, God. 
I feel like I'm this tottering fence, just hanging in there. So where does David trust? Where does his security lie? It's not in people. It's not in people. Verse eight, sorry, verse nine. Low-born men are but a breath. The poorest of poor or the, the high-born, the, 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 the richest of rich, they're but a lie. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor, these people are just human beings. And if you weighed them on a balance, if you put them on the scales against God, with all their wisdom, with all their advice, with all their care, with all their comfort, with all their support, that is wonderful and that is important. But it doesn't compare with the security that your God guarantees you. Because we're just human beings and we fail each other. I hope you've learned that lesson in life, that people will fail you. And people will let you down. Sometimes it's deliberate. Most of the time it's not intentional. The problem of being a human being is that you cannot fully satisfy the other person. You can't fix their problem. You can't solve their problem. You don't know what to say. You don't know why things have happened because we're not God. And I hope you've learned that. Your wife or your husband might be a great blessing, a precious gift, but your security is not in them. Kids are wonderful, but your security is not in them. Your parents, your friends, they're wonderful, but they're not there 24-7. They will let you down. If you're putting all your hope in people, you'll quickly be disillusioned. David doesn't trust people. He doesn't trust possessions. Verse 10, don't trust in extortion or, don't, or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increased, please don't set your heart on them. Though your wealth increases, you might have the money to buy that house or to buy the pleasure or that terrific lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with that again. If, if you've been blessed with lots of money, thank God for it. Use it wisely. But if that's your security, if that's your trust, you're on sinking sand. Surely you've learned that the last two years, haven't you? As we of a church have watched people lose everything in the GFC, sell their house, lose their jobs, and if you learned nothing else this last week in the floods, surely you've learned this stuff ultimately does not bring you security. You know, as you watch the news and you see the, the, the terrifying power of just water, that is horrific. But I reckon the horrors are just starting as people go back to the place where their house once was. And there is no house, and there is no bed, and there is no kitchen, there's no fridge, there's no TV, and there's no toys, and there's no clothes. It's all gone. All their stuff has gone. And as I've chatted to people this week, and you know the, the, the news pictures of people just grabbing stuff and, and fleeing from the floods? And I've said, you know, what would you take with you? What would you take with you? I'm yet to find one person who said, oh, I'd take the fridge. I'd take the TV. They've all said, I'd take the stuff that you can't replace, like the photographs and the memories. The rest of it, you can replace all that stuff. And if you're here tonight finding your security and your identity and your trust in stuff, in things, you're on sinking sand. So where does David find his trust, his hope, his security? He tells you often enough in this psalm. He repeats himself so often. Verse 1. My soul finds rest in God alone. 
My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. God is my fortress. I'll never be shaken. Down to verse 5, he's almost repeating himself, except he's not. Down in verse 5, he's now talking to himself. It's almost like David is saying, Come on, David. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Come on, David. Remember, your hope comes from God. Come on, David. He alone. God is your rock. God is your salvation. God is your fortress. You'll never be shaken. Come on, David. Your salvation, your honor depend on God. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Having to talk to yourself? Having to remind yourself the truth that you know about God? I do it all the time. Okay, Paul, listen up. Okay, Paul, God's plans are obviously not your plans. And God's timing is not your timing, Paul. And God's ways are not your ways, Paul. Come on, Paul, find rest in God alone. Come on, Paul, remember that that God has a plan and God has a purpose and God cares and God is wise and God is loving. Come on, Paul, trust in God alone. Extraordinary words, aren't they? Trust in Him at all times. Trust in God. It's not flippant, it's not pious. It's the most liberating, refreshing, wonderful truth. God, I'm a tottering fence. But you, God, are my rock, my fortress, my refuge, my salvation. I'm a leaning wall, but God, you're unchanging. You're all-powerful. You're dependable. That's why I trust you, God. In, in this amazing book, it's called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges. He says, listen carefully, God in his love always wills what is best for us. God in his wisdom always knows, what is, always knows what is best for us. And God in his sovereignty has the power to bring that about. And that's the God that I trust in. And that's David's God. Trust in God. What is trust? What does that word trust really mean? The word trust means something like to be completely dependent on, to be completely confident in. It's that security, it's that satisfaction, it's, it's knowing that, that things might not be going your way, but God really is in control. Uh, to trust in God is actually an act of your will, it's a choice that you will make every day. To trust in God, it, it's learning to say, Lord, I don't have a strategy, I don't have a plan I don't have an answer, but God, I do have you. And so I come back to you today and I shelter under you. Three simple words, trusting God. Easy to say, hard to live. And when you're reeling from that divorce or reeling from that death of a loved one or in despair or disappointment or despair or just, you know, the, the everyday frustrations of the computer breaking, your washing machine breaking or the child who's keeping you awake at night, it's still hard to live out that phrase, trust in God. But it gets harder, actually. <laughs> trust in God alone. That's the repeated word of the psalm. Do you spot that in verse 1? My soul finds rest in God alone. Verse 2, he alone is my rock. Same in verse 5, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Verse 6, he alone is my rock. David is saying, I don't trust in God and my money in the bank. 
And I don't trust in God and the nice palace that I live in. And I don't trust in God and my private health insurance. And I don't trust in God and, and my friends who will tell me what I want to hear. I trust in God alone. He's the only person I run to. He's the only person I need. He's my security, my strength, and my help. And again, please don't mishear me. We need each other. We're encouraged to support each other, cry with each other, grieve with each other, rejoice with each other. We do need other people, but not at the exclusion of God. Trusting God alone. This week I was reading a blog of a pastor his name is Matt Chandler. You might have heard of him. He's a pastor of a church in the States. He's an extraordinary preacher, a great pastor, and under God, that church has grown rapidly. Just over 12 months ago, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor that was found to be cancerous. And on the one-year anniversary, he wrote this in his blog. He says, to say that we've done some reflecting as a family in the last year would be an understatement. So here are a few random thoughts on my first year anniversary. Number one, God really is enough. God really is enough. He says, for years I've taught that simple sentence to people and I believe with everything in me it was true. But seeing it personally has been another story like the difference between seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon and actually seeing it. I found out on November the 26th I had a mass on my frontal lobe. On Tuesday, the December the 1st, I was going to need surgery. The scans didn't look good, and on December the 4th, I had a good portion of my front, right front lobe removed. And I'll be honest, that season was terrifying, and we all wept. But under all that fear and all those tears, there was this quiet confidence this firm foundation, this unshakable promise, and we never lost it. The world would sink in the days and months to come, but we continually found our footing in the truth that God is in control of all things, and God loves me deeply, and God really is enough. I also learned the only thing that matters is I am his. The only thing that matters is that I am his. If you ask people about me, depending on who they are, they would tell you I'm a husband, a father, a preacher, a leader, a son, a brother, a friend. But when we were prepping for the surgery, they went over the long list of things that were possibilities. I could lose my ability to speak, walk, lose my short-term or long-term memories. The list was much longer, but I think you get the point. I'm primarily known as a pastor and a preacher, but here's the truth that slammed into me when I was wrestling with God over this surgery. One day I am not going to preach, one day I'm not going to pastor, one day I'm not going to be Lauren's husband or my kid's father, and all the things that define me here will be gone. But I will simply be his. And I'm still meditating on that, that's all I really am, I am his. So while he gives me breath, there are sermons to preach and people to shepherd and children to impart the glory of God to, and an extremely beautiful wife to love. But the only thing that really matters is that I am his. There's a man who's understood what it means to trust in God alone. His identity, his security, his satisfaction is found in God. He understands the next phrase as well. Trust in God alone at all times. 
That's what our verse says, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. At all times, in any circumstance, in every situation, when things are well, when things are not well, when things are great and when things are grim, trust in God. I reckon I could divide people in this church quite neatly into two categories. Uh, There are the people who find it easier to trust God in the tough times. When times are tough, they do run to God. They do find their security and their shelter in God. But when things get good again, they're kind of self-sufficient. And the other group of people who, they do trust in God in the good times, but when things go badly, then they start to blame God and they're bitter and they're cynical and they're angry and they walk away from God. And the challenge of this verse is that we're called to trust in God in the good times and in the terrible times. In the great times and the grim times. When you can't seem to trace God and when he's closest to you. There's a story of a boy who's trapped in a burning building. He's on the second floor window. His dad is on the ground. And his dad shouts out to him, son, just jump, I'm here. And the boy cries out, but dad, I, I can't see you. And the dad calls out to his son, you can't see me, but I can see you. And I'm here, ready to catch you. Trust me. That's really what it means to trust God. Sometimes you can't seem to see him. Sometimes he doesn't feel particularly close. But he is there. He does care. So trust him. I do pray you'll be able to say, I will trust in you alone. Even though I don't really feel like doing that right now. And my guess is that many of us here are sitting here thinking, it's a nice sermon, Paul, but just tell me how. Tell me how to do this. It sounds impossible. There's two easy ways of doing it. The first one is this. To know God. To know your God. How do you trust God? The answer is to know him better and better and better. The answer is actually theology. It's not not a swear word. It's a study of God. It's just knowing God that you trust in. Because here's the truth. I reckon the issue for most of us is this. We don't trust God alone in all times because deep down we don't really know why God is worth trusting in. I'll say that again. We don't trust God at all times because deep down we don't really know why God is worth trusting in. If your knowledge of God is really superficial and really shallow, don't be surprised when troubles come that your trust is also superficial and shallow. But if you've plumbed the depths of God, if you've devoured him and you've spent time investigating really who he is, what he promises, his character, his goodness, then in those times you will know your God and you'll trust him. So who is this God that David knows? He gives us two anchors, two foundation stones down in verse 11 and 12. They're extraordinary. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, Listen carefully, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O God, are loving. They're the two goalposts. You, O God, are strong and you, O Lord, are loving. That's our God. He he is 
all-powerful. He is strong. He was strong enough to, to smite the Egyptians to rescue his people. He was strong enough to, to raise the dead. He's strong enough to do whatever he pleases, whenever he chooses, with whoever he chooses. He has the ability, the power, the strength to do whatever he likes. That's the God that you trust in. But more than that, you, O God, are, are loving. The word is unfailing love, hesed love, steadfast love. You see, God doesn't always give us what we want. God doesn't always give us what we want. No, no, no loving parent ever gives their child exactly what that child wants. The most loving parent gives the child exactly what the child needs and what is best for that child. And we have a father who, who uses his strength, who uses his power to give us exactly what we need, what is good for us, what's best for us, even if we can't see it at the time. And that's the God that we trust in, strong and loving. And what happens if your God is all-powerful but he's not loving? If he has all the ability but he's not loving, that kind of God is a tyrant. Scary. If your God is all-loving but he has no power, that's sad and pathetic. But hold those two together, the God who is all-powerful and all-loving, and you've got a God who has the ability and the love to care for you, to hold on to you. If you want any more proof that God is both all-powerful and all-loving, just look at the cross. It didn't look powerful. It didn't look particularly loving. But that one act in history as he sacrificed his son Jesus, he was paying for your sins. He was defeating death. He was humiliating the devil. And he was shouting to you, I'm your father. Trust me. Know your God. I reckon that's why David uses the kind of words he does use to describe his God. He doesn't call God, you know, my pal and my friend or even my dictator. <laughs> what kind of words does he use to describe God in this psalm? Verse 2, he's a rock. Verse 2, he's a fortress. Verse 6, he's my rock, he's my fortress. Verse 7, he's my mighty rock and my refuge. And verse 8, God is our refuge. What are the pictures in your mind here? Rock, refuge, fortress. Surely you're thinking security. You're thinking protection. You're thinking shelter. That's what rocks do. Oh, I know we've got houses now. But you know, there was a time where you're in the desert and you saw your rock. You saw this massive rock. What do you do with that rock? You run to it and you shelter from the wind and the rain and the sun and the storms. What do you do with that rock? You, you run to that rock because you're protected from your enemies in that rock. And that rock, you, you know where it is. It doesn't move. It can't move. It's unchanging. That's David's God, my rock, my refuge, my fortress, my protection. And please notice that word, my. My soul, my rock, my salvation, my fortress. David is, for David, God isn't just a rock or a refuge. He's his personal rock, his personal refuge. Someone has said that word my is like putting the, the honey in the comb. And that's why David says twice in verse 2, I'll never be shaken. Verse 6, I will not be shaken. 
So that's what knowing God does, my friends. Your situation might not change. You may still feel like a tottering fence. But the difference is that you're being sheltered, you're being protected, you're being cared for, you're being cherished and nourished by a God who is all strong and all loving and really doesn't know what he's doing. The lesson I've learned is that if God is capable of running this whole world, he's more than capable of running my little life and yours. So trust him. Know him. That's what he means in verse 12 when he says, Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. If you obey him, if you trust him, again, your situation won't change. It might not change, but you will change. He'll reward you with peace and contentment and security and confidence. Know your God. Perhaps that's a goal for 2011, just to know God better. What a great goal to have. The second way that you trust him is there in verse 8. Please don't miss this one. Pour out your hearts to him. Pour out your hearts. Talk to your God. Tell God everything. Hold nothing back from God because he already knows. David is saying, sure, it's important to talk to people. But don't just talk to people. When you've got a God there who has the strength and the love to actually do something about it. I just wonder how many, how many of us here are this kind of feeling the need to put on a good face with God. We don't really feel we can just sit with our God in, in the quietness of our own room and just plead with him and cry with him and weep with him and shout out to him and just ask him and intercede and plead and beg and tell him your hurts and tell him your fears. Just, just pour out your very soul and your very being and your very heart to God. So here's the last thing that Matt Chandler learnt. On my one anniversary I learned that I suck at praying. I suck at praying. I didn't think I did before this. I thought it was a strength of mine, but I was wrong. When you realize that all you are is his, then you realize that I don't stay connected with him as I've been commanded to. I confess I went into hundreds of meetings over my first seven years as a pastor of the village church without asking for direction or wisdom, without asking for God's power, God's clarity. I knew I wasn't wise enough or experienced enough or seasoned enough, but I went and tried to be what they needed. I've grown exponentially in this area this year and I'm hoping that when I'm done with my race, listen carefully, I will be known not just as a faithful preacher of God's word but as a man who has communed with his father without ceasing. As a man who's communed with his father without ceasing. Don't you long to be a person who's known just for pouring out your heart to God, talking to him, Every minute, every second, every hour. Just telling your hurts, telling your needs, telling your, your concerns, your doubts, your questions. Pour out your hearts to him. He's strong. He's loving. He has the ability to hear, to act, to change. So let me boldly ask you again. Where is your security? Where is your trust? What do you do when the burdens are heavy and 
the temptations are formidable and the disappointments are massive. Please don't just run to people. Run to God. Shelter in God. Place yourself in His arms because His arms are strong and His arms are loving. He really is more than strong enough to carry you and has an extraordinary love to carry you and to care for you because He's a rock, a refuge, a shelter, a fortress and you'll never be shaken. Trust in Him alone at all times, O oh people.